And we might feel like we face many battles every day. You might feel like, man, it's a battle every day uh, to get my kids out the door for school, or it's a battle every day to go to my job, or it's a battle every day to keep up with my lawn work, or it's a battle every day with my neighbor who's always somehow standing out at the mailbox at the time that I'm going to try to leave and I'm late or whatever. It's a battle. I've got to avoid them and be on time or whatever it might be. I might feel we're in a battle with coworkers or a spouse or, or kids, family members, whatever it is. We might feel like we have all these things we're trying to battle against. Uh, and sometimes we can have a variety of battles that we're all facing each different um, but sometimes I might feel like my to-do list, that's the battle. I've got to get all the stuff done, that's my battle for today. Or getting a sermon written, like it's kind of the biggest project I do every single week is this you know, 40, 45-minute message from the Bible that's faithful to it, that makes sense for everybody in the room, that applies to our lives. Like that's a big project, so it's like that's my battle for this week. Or maybe it can feel like um, early on... Uh, when I first became a parent, Nick and I were talking, and he said, it's, you know, it's easy to see our kids as in the way, in the way of our sleep, or in the way of this fun thing I want to do, in the way of relaxing. And so it can feel like, you know, my battle today is to is Hudson. Like, he is just the thing that I need to fight. This is the battle I need to fight so I can get X, Y, or Z happen in my life. Or, uh, and we may think there's lots of things in our way. And so as you think about your life and your week, your day, as you wake up each day, or maybe the week ahead, what's the biggest battle you focus on fighting each day. You don't have to say it aloud, but just think it in your head. You can write it down um, and, or just kind of note it in your brain. What's the biggest battle that you tend to focus on fighting each day or each week? I'll just give you a minute to do that. Biggest battle you're focused on fighting each day. So we finished this series on the Holy Spirit. And we've been talking about who He is, what he wants to do in our lives, and how we rely on him. And the goal has been to grow in enjoying God's presence through the Spirit in our lives. And as we close, we're going to consider the Spirit's role in fighting our spiritual enemy, Satan. And our biggest battle in life is not against, you know, maybe all the things we may list that are kind of on the surface or things that we can't we can see, but our biggest battle is against an enemy that we cannot see. And the outcome of that battle has eternal consequences. The difficulties that you experience in life that keep you from closeness with God, from going, growing in your relationship with God, are tools of the enemy, uh, the true enemy, whose goal is to destroy your relationship with God uh, and to get you to abandon your faith in Him and destroy your relationship with other people as well. And so as we fight this spiritual battle against Satan or the devil or the serpent or the ways he's described in the Bible, where do we get strength to win that battle? I mean, if you think about it, uh, Satan's a lot older than all of us, so he knows a lot more. He's been fighting this battle a lot longer. Um, and if, if you think about it, he has a lot more resources at his disposal. He has these armies, these principalities, these powers, these spiritual forces of darkness. And if it's just little old me or little old you against Satan and his armies, um, where do we get the strength to win that fight? So our big idea for today as we look at Ephesians chapter 6 is here's the answers. We need to rely on the Spirit for Christ's strength to win against Satan. We need to rely on the Spirit for Christ's strength to win against Satan. There's three parts to that because relying on the Spirit 
And what does relying on the Spirit get us? It gets us Christ's strength. We're relying on the Spirit for Christ's strength in our lives to do what? To win against Satan or to defeat Satan or to stand firm against him, to withstand, to, uh, to resist his temptations, resist despair, resist abandoning faith, resist believing lies about God. We rely on the Spirit for Christ's strength to win that battle. And as Paul began uh, to bring the letter to the church in Ephesus to a close, we're going to be focused on that last passage we read, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. It's on page 979 if you're using the Black Bibles here. As Paul is writing to this church, and this is one of those letters where he has just said some of the most amazing truths about who God is and what God has done and who we are as a result of God. And as he brings this letter to the close, the thing he focuses on is this enemy. And he says in verse 10, finally, let's wrap things up, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And the command in the original language is actually in the passive voice. And if you're an English nerd, uh, you know that means that something's being done to you. You are passive in it. It's not like I'm, you know, the strength isn't in me and I'm doing it. It's something's being done to you. You're being strengthened. Something is being done to us. We cannot make ourselves strong. Someone else makes us strong. And someone else strengthens us. And the command is also something that is continually needed, the way it's written. It's a continually, a continual need, and a really literal translation could be, be continually being strengthened in the Lord. Be continually allowing this thing to happen to you. Be continually putting yourself in a position and seeking out for this thing, this strengthening to happen to you in the Lord. And so it makes clear that there's a strength that we need that is outside of us, that is not ours, but which is available to us and can be given to us. And the strength that we need is found in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus. He is the might, He is the strength, He is the power that we need. It belongs to Him, and we need Him to give it to us, to strengthen us. And this verse is really exposes what the whole Christian life is about. It's about admitting our neediness to God and depending on Him to receive what we need. Admitting our neediness to God and depending on Him to receive what we need. All spiritual strength and power and victory starts with admitting that we don't have the strength or the power or the victory in ourselves and looking to the one who does first can sum up the Christian life. And then the next three verses, verses 11 through 13, answer, how do we get this strength and why do we need it? Verses 11 through 13, how do we get this strength and why do we need it? Verse 11 tells us one of the hows and one of the whys. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The strength comes in the form of armor that belongs to God. It's the armor of God. It's God's armor, and it's given by God. And that's kind of cool to even think about, you know, like wearing dad's clothes or something. Or something. You get somebody else's clothes and you wear them. It's like, wow, we get to wear this armor that belongs to God. He owns it. And why do we need armor? Well, armor assumes that there is a battle. And if you go into a battle with no armor against people who have armor and who have swords and other weapons, javelins or whatever your preference is, it's not going to go very well for you. And armor strengthens you. It protects you from harm. It equips you for battle. It makes you able to stand against your opponent. It's like if you were uh, just had your normal clothes on against someone with armor, you're not strong, but the armor makes you strong to stand against your opponent. And Paul says in verse 11, that we need the armor of God. Why? So that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil, 
or Satan, is the serpent from Genesis 3 uh, that we saw at the beginning of that series. And he led the first humans, Adam and Eve, into rebellion against God. He deceived them, and we kind of uh, defined what the deception was. This is way back when. This is like bonus points if you can remember that. What were the two lies that uh, the serpent got them to believe in Genesis 3? Everyone remember? Any, or anyone remember? It's that God... There we boom, Emma. Bonus points. Uh, game where the points don't matter. <laughs> Twenty. No reference to that one show. What's it called? Whose line is it anyway? Um, okay, yeah. So sin, God isn't that good. Sin isn't that bad. The two essential lies. Like you know what? God isn't that good. Like why are you trusting him? He's holding out on you. He's. Are you, if you eat from this tree, well, sin isn't that bad. It's not really going to kill you. God isn't that good. He's holding on. He doesn't have your best in mind. And also, the consequences for disobeying him aren't that bad. God isn't that good. Sin isn't that bad. And that's the same lie uh, that the serpent, the devil, Satan, is repeating over and over in our lives. And so they're deceived into believing this. And so they left a relationship with God to do things their own way. And we were made to have a relationship with God. But since... Adam and Eve made this choice. We've been lost in darkness and death, deceived by the devil and his lies about God. In our culture and society, in our modern worldview, talking about the devil will get you labeled as weird and crazy. I mean, think about it. How many explanations for life do you say like about the devil? I mean, we have so... It's kind of like we'll give any other explanation, and if there's no other explanation, oh, it's, 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 it must be Satan then. If we can't figure out any other explanation... Or sometimes it comes to God, like, well, you know, if, oh, medicine healed this person, or this healed that person, or, or this, all oh, this happened because of this, this, and that. And if we can find any other way to explain something, we don't give God the credit. Instead of seeing God as working through all things in the world, and at the same time, Satan also is working through things within the world. And so, uh, in our, we can get labeled as weird and crazy by talking about the devil. Talking about God is fine. Even talking about Jesus with people who don't believe is okay, unless you call him the Lord of the universe who died for your sins. But most people kind of like Jesus. I mean, everyone wants Jesus to be on their team and to agree with them. But if you start talking about an agent of evil that leads people astray from God, you might as well be talking about the boogeyman. And we'd much rather come up with scientific explanations to explain our problems, whether it's psychological or mental or emotional, uh, and we go to therapy to explain why we have trouble in our relationships. And those things aren't evil in themselves. I'm not saying, you know, do away with those things, but it's how has Satan worked through our family systems and our systems in our culture and our lives and through other people? How has he used those things to lead us astray from God and not labeling things as psychology or therapy or anything? And if we're going to view the world the way that God describes the world, we have to acknowledge that our greatest enemy is a real being called the devil who wants nothing but for us to abandon God and to destroy our faith. And the devil and de demons sometimes show up in scary physical ways, but often the devil works more subtle, behind-the-scenes ways. And we're already infected with sin, uh, each of us, um, and so all he needs to do is encourage that infection to spread into our culture and our society in every single way. And you look at books like the book of Revelation, and uh, the author, John, is writing to this church that they have, they have the Roman Empire persecuting them, oppressing them, saying you need to abandon your faith in Jesus and pledge loyalty, primary loyalty to, the C to Caesar and to Rome. And he says, let me pull back the curtain of what's happening here. 
Satan is using Rome, he's using this empire to get you to abandon faith. And if we pulled back the curtain on tons of things in our world today, we would see this is something that Satan is subtly, behind the scenes, deceptively using to get us to veer away from uh, faith in God. We have a whole world that pulls us away from God. And there's an invisible spiritual battle going on right now for the hearts of human beings everywhere. And each of us is in the middle of it. None of us is exempt from it. For our hearts as well. And Paul says we need to put on the armor of God if we want any hope in coming out of this battle victorious. And he says in verse 12, why, why is this the case? Verse 12 he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. We need to resist the devil's schemes because ultimately our day-to-day battles are not with flesh and blood, but with the commanders and the armies and the soldiers of darkness and of evil. We need to take the whole armor of God so we can withstand their onslaught and stand firm as God's army and family. And how is a battle lost? I was thinking about, like, okay, we have this enemy. Uh, So how does, like, if you're, you know, two armies are fighting, physical armies, like, how is a battle lost? How do you lose against your enemy? And there's a number of ways. Um, One is we don't know we have an enemy. That's one way you can lose a battle is you just don't even know you have an enemy. One of the devil's best lies he is going against us in North America is that he doesn't exist and we don't think about him very much. So if you have an enemy that you aren't thinking about whether he exists and you're not caring much about what he's doing, it's like he can kind of do whatever he wants. Like I said, we'll come up with every other possible explanation for our spiritual struggles besides the devil's work against us. And what's the easiest way to defeat someone in battle? Convince them that there's no enemy to fight so they never even engage in the battle. And they just get taken over without resistance. So you can lose a battle to your enemy by not knowing you have an enemy. Secondly, we can be overpowered by our enemy. We can be overpowered by our enemy. We know we have one, but in and of ourselves, we don't have the manpower or firepower. Manpower is probably not what we're supposed to say these days. Human power, woman power, man, woman power, I don't know. Manpower, firepower. Uh, we don't have the manpower, human power, woman power, or firepower to defeat this enemy, and so it can overthrow us. And if we don't look to the Lord for our strength, we will be overpowered by Satan. Thirdly, we don't know our enemy. We don't know our enemy. We need to be aware of the devil's schemes and tactics against us. And, And Jesus calls him the father of lies, because that's his primary way of fighting against us, lies about God and about ourselves. And he is using everything possible in the world to tell us that God is not good and that sin isn't that bad. Just you know, flip on the, your TV tonight and watch what is happening on it and ask, what is this telling me about God? What is this telling me about what's most important? What's this telling me about what's most valuable? What's this telling me about me and about what I have the right to have? What's this telling me about how I should view myself? All of that is injecting a, a worldview, a way of seeing the world that is most likely has some truth but also has a lot of lies to it about uh, that isn't what God, the full truth of what God wants you to see. And the devil tells us lies about God. He tells us 
Um, God isn't good, so he isn't worth it and can't be trusted. He tells us God isn't in control and can't be trusted to be in control. It's like, he's not the best one to be in control. Like, you should be in control of your life. He tells us that God isn't gracious, so we need to prove we're good enough to him so he'll love us. The devil tells us lies about ourselves. He tells us that we can't let people into our needs and problems. He tells us we need to live in guilt and shame. He tells us we don't need other people. He tells us that we need to do it all on our own. If you want to just break it down into uh, one, one goal, his goal is to isolate us from God and isolate us from other people. And if you think about it, um, there's this book Nick and I read, and it has like these circles of like closeness to people relationship, and it's like various rings. Um, and it, it, its advice is when you're in trouble, spiritual trouble, physical trouble, emotional trouble, any sort of trouble, expand who knows about it and ask, bring those people in for help. If that doesn't work, more people know about it, more people know about it, more people know about it. But what actually we tend to do is if we get in stress mode, anxiety mode, like survival mode, what do we do? I just, I just need to deal with this. I need to cut. I can't deal. go to this church stuff. I don't have time for that. I can't let people into this. I just got to figure this out and come out of it on the other side. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants to isolate us from God. He wants to isolate us from other people. So that it's just us. And when it's just us, we don't have strength to resist him. Fourthly, we can underestimate our enemy. <coughs> we can underestimate our enemy. The good news is that Satan is a defeated enemy. Jesus won the decisive victory on the cross when he defeated sin and Satan and death. But a defeated enemy is still a dangerous enemy. The decisive victory has been won, but Satan has not surrendered. Um, and there, we're shown in the book of Revelation there will be this final battle where he uh, will be destroyed. Right now he's defeated, but then will be destroyed. And until he's destroyed, he's still dangerous. I mean, you know, what, when you think about like animals that get cornered, um, what do they do? They get even more ferocious and vicious. And it's like he's a defeated enemy, but still dangerous. He will only be destroyed when Jesus returns to fully complete the coming of his kingdom. Fifth, we can underestimate the seriousness of what's at stake. We can underestimate the seriousness, you could say, of the situation and what's at stake. Because we can think, like, wow, you know, he's not really bothering me. or I mean, that's exactly the, a tactic of, like, you know what? This isn't really a big deal to focus on fighting me. Like, wouldn't that be the best way to, like, defeat somebody? Like, you know, I'm not really a big deal. Uh, you don't have to worry about me. Just kind of let me do my thing, and it's going to be fine. Um, but Jesus says there's going to be much opposition against us uh, staying faithful to him. We saw that in the book of John. And he says that many people are going to be appear to be followers. And some people just reject right away, you know, the seed on the path. Satan takes the seed and doesn't take any root in their lives. But then there's two kinds of people that the seed takes root. They look like followers of Jesus. And one, their faith gets choked up by the cares of the world. That's one tactic Satan can use. If he doesn't get the seed right away, cares of the world. Like, just get you distracted by everything going on in life. And it's like, i got to focus on that. And then our faith gets choked out by it. And the second is that we sprout up, but because we're in shallow soil with no root, uh, the, the sun, when persecution or opposition to our faith comes, it gets burned up. And Jesus says there's some people that are going to look like they have faith, but eventually you'll find that they actually um, die off. And I think there's many people who think they're believers, but Satan is silently killing them by lulling them into thinking they're good with God um, because they spend an hour at church service on a Sunday, put a check in the offering, and try to be good people. And that's just... a 
a veil that he, a lie that he has over us. That, that, you know, that's what makes you good for God. Put in your time on Sunday, put a check in, uh, and just try to be a good person. That's not at all what the Bible says it means to be faithful. It's just trusting in Jesus, abiding in him, obeying him, loving him, having him as your treasure. And so some of the thing is, with our culture, is we can happily be enthralled with the cares of the world and be scared of anybody knowing we're a Christian and yet call ourselves Christian and go to a church on, on service on a Sunday. And that's a dangerous place for us to be um, in Christianity. And number six, and finally, where you can be defeated by your enemy. The enemy gets us to fight each other. The enemy gets us to fight each other. And you can read about some battles in history, and even some of the, Bible, the battles in biblical history, where one army uh, will get the other army to become confused. Like some instances, it's like in the dark. Uh, maybe it'll be dark nighttime, and, one, and there'll be two camps, maybe two allied camps, um, and then one army will kind of go in between them and fire shots or get, and get uh, these two groups to think like, whoa, the enemy's on the other side. And so these people start shooting. They're like, the enemy's here. And then this, they're like, whoa, the enemy's shooting at us, and they're shooting here. And then the, the enemy army actually like, comes out of the middle of them and goes back in safety and just watches these two allied camps fight one another and defeat one another um, and die by friendly fire. And so often Satan gets us to see other people as the ones that we're fighting. We'll see other believers as our enemy or our spouses or our friends or our kids or our co-workers or family members as our enemy. And he gets us focusing on fighting flesh and blood rather than the spiritual forces of darkness. And sometimes people are being used by spiritual forces of evil. That's clear from the Bible. But we need to recognize that the ultimate enemy is the devil and his minions. And when Christians fight against Christians, the devil wins. So we need to be strengthened by our Lord's might. Why? Because we have an enemy waging war against us. How? It's by putting on the armor of God to stand against Satan. And so what is this armor of God? He said, we need to, surely we need to put it on. Um, so what is it? Uh, well, Jesus is our, our Lord and King. And he's the one who first fights the enemy. He's the one who first fought Satan, the devil, uh, the serpent. And unlike Adam and Eve, he did not give in to temptation when tempted by Satan. And, uh, he was tempted by Satan himself. Um, in the wilderness, you can read about it in the beginning of the Gospels. And Jesus lived a sinless life, resisted temptation, and he always did God's will. And Jesus is our king who defeated Satan by wearing the armor of God. He had the spirit in him, and he wore the armor of God, and he's the first to defeat Satan. And the armor of God that Jesus wore becomes ours when we're united with him. We talked we talk a lot uh, in this series and the series in John about how when we trust in Jesus, um, what's his becomes ours. What's true of him becomes true of us. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. When we trust in Jesus, we are in Christ. We are one with him. What's true of him becomes true of us. And Paul goes on to say, Jesus has been seated above all rulers, all authorities, all powers. He's on a throne above them all. Why? Because Jesus has defeated all of them, all the spiritual forces of darkness, and is now Lord of the universe. And if you look back in the Old Testament, uh, Nate, if you are here several weeks ago, Nate covered some of these Old Testament passages that are where Paul is drawing from here. Um, and back in the Old Testament, Isaiah 57, God talks about um, taking up his armor, putting armor on his Messiah, his Christ, the king he's going to send, 
putting his armor on him so that he can come and accomplish salvation for us. And Jesus is that one that God put his armor on. And then in chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul talks, he says, we need to put off our old selves and put on Christ. And so we put off uh, this old self that's uh, hindered by sin, that's uh, corrupted by the lies of Satan. We put on this new self, this this armor that what Jesus wore himself to fight spiritual battle. We put that new self on and we're victorious in the same spiritual battle that Jesus won by trusting in Christ, at which point his strength, his armor, becomes ours so that we can defeat the spiritual forces of darkness too. And Paul lists off some of the armor that Roman soldiers would have worn. and uh, Some people go into depth uh, on maybe like, why is, it, is the breastplate this or why is the helmet this? And I'm not sure he was going that in depth if somebody thinks that that's okay. Um, but he sitting there chained to this Romans, he, we learn later in the verses that he's in prison, he's, so it means he's chained to a Roman soldier who's wearing this armor, and he's sitting there you know, looking at this guy, and also has those Isaiah passages in his mind of God putting this armor on his uh, on Jesus, or the, one, the king he's going to send, and as he writes this letter, he starts listing off these pieces of armor that he's seeing on this guy next to him. And the order of the pieces is the order in which a soldier would have put them on as they're preparing for battle. And so first we have, these are, uh, we're just going to go down the list. Um, they're in, uh, they start in verse 14. He says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth is kind of this preparatory piece. It's under the other pieces. And it holds the other pieces in place. And you're kind of layering stuff on. you got this, probably some leathery stuff, and then a, a belt and then you start putting the breastplate on and other items. But this, uh, the belt is called the belt of truth. And there's the truth of the gospel that we put on. It's this belt that kind of like secures other things in place. And it's like that whole truth of the gospel is what we, uh, is kind of holding everything up. And it's that, but it's also this truth that is changing us. The truth of the gospel is who God is, what he's done in Christ, and who we are. But then we're also putting off our old selves and we're putting on the truth that is in Jesus. This, this is true of him and that means that I'm forgiven, I'm a child of God, I'm loved and we put that on ourselves and that becomes this undergirding part for us. And then he also says next that we put on the breastplate of righteousness. And this is a protective gear. We've been, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, I think it's both, uh, we've been declared righteous, that once we trust in Jesus, we're no longer guilty and condemned in God's sight, but we're declared righteous, declared innocent. There's nothing standing between us anymore. But we're also becoming more righteous in our living. We're putting off our old selves, putting on our new selves, and we're putting on this armor that Jesus was righteous and resisted temptation against Satan. And we're also looking forward to being fully righteous when Jesus returns. And then next he has, uh, I'm going to call them gospel boots. Uh, Verse 15, he says, As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And boots, these gospel boots, there's a readiness to them. Boots secure uh, your footing and they protect your feet so you're not worried about, you know, whenever, I don't know, my sister, like in the summer, she would like run around with shoes, without shoes all summer, She'd run across the gravel. Whenever I wouldn't have shoes on, I'd be like, <laughs> you know, I'd be like trying to get across it. But it's like once we put them shoes on, it's like I don't have to worry about where I'm stepping. I don't have to worry about my footing. I can step anywhere I want. And so shoes make us mobile. 
And sometimes, uh, I'm not exactly sure that's where Paul was going, but um, for me, he says the good news, why is, the pe- why is peace with God the thing that makes us mobile so we don't have to worry about where we're stepping? Well, it's this peace that uh, frees us from not constantly worrying about where we're stepping with God. Like, did I do the wrong thing and so now God's mad at me? Did I step in the wrong place? Like, I gotta, you know, everywhere I step, I'm watching out for I'm going. It gives us this readiness so we can we can move. We can be like God. I'm gonna I'm gonna make mistakes. I'm gonna sin. I'm gonna fail. But it's okay. I'm at peace with you. I have forgiveness. I don't have to worry about that. I have to worry about you condemning me and was holding on to that. And it's and he says it's these. It also makes us mobile so we can be sent into the world with the same good news of knowing there's peace. There's nothing between me and God. Now I can go tell other people about that as well. And there's that. Uh, great passage in Romans 10 that's quoting actually Isaiah as well that says how beautiful are the feet who preach the good news and so there's these feet equipped with the good news that are mobile to bring it and then he has the shield of faith which is an active protective thing it's like the breastplate that's on and it's like you've been declared righteous it's like you don't have to keep putting that on every day it's like you've been declared righteous but the shield of faith is like okay exercising faith allows us to bring up this shield to block these fiery darts of the evil one and it's interesting how he says uh, he says in verse 16 in all circumstances take up the shield of faith which, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one trust in who God is is the thing that is the shield that blocks every in every circumstance all the flaming darts of the evil one. Uh, and there's many ways that uh, Satan can get us to doubt God, to believe lies, to abandon faith. Like you know what? If you you know if God really loved you, uh, you wouldn't be going through this. Life wouldn't be so hard. Things would be easier. He'd be answering your prayers. You wouldn't have gotten cancer. Your mom wouldn't have gotten cancer. You wouldn't have had this illness or this sickness or this thing happened to you or these money issues or whatever it is. And those are the times when uh, Satan, and it's like, no, I'm going to put the shield of faith. Like, I trust that God's good. I trust that he's in control. And I'm putting up this shield of faith and I'm blocking you. And it's interesting. Uh, John Calvin, pastor who lived about 500 years ago, defined faith this way. He said, it's a sure and steadfast knowledge of the fatherly goodness of God toward us. He defined faith as a sure and steadfast knowledge of the fatherly goodness of God towards us. It's like God gives us that gift of faith that now we have the sure and steadfast knowledge of his fatherly goodness toward us. In the Old Testament, I remember in the story of Abraham, God tells Abraham, uh, I am your shield, Abraham. And there's many psalms where they say, like, God, you are my shield, you are my refuge, you are my fortress, my hiding place. And when we hold on to God in faith, that shield of faith, God himself becomes our protection. The truth of who he is, we find safety and security in that. We hold on to him by faith and rest in his goodness and love toward us. And then he talks about the helmet of salvation. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. And this is also protective. You put it on and salvation, we it's Think of it as bigger than, oh, that one time long ago when I trusted in Jesus and I got saved. Think of it as salvation, past, present, future. You're saved from the penalty of your sins, forgiveness. You're being saved from the power of sin. No, you don't have control over me, Satan. Those shackles have been set free. Sin no longer has power over me. And looking forward with hope to one day, 
uh, that I will be set free totally from this, that you don't have the final word, and so the helmet of salvation. And these, if you go back and read the book of Ephesians, these are all spiritual blessings we have in Christ, the truth about God and ourselves, free righteousness, peace with God, God's promises, salvation. This is all the spiritual blessings in Christ that get put on us as this armor that protects us um, and gives us defensive uh, ability against Satan and ability to uh, move and bring the gospel to others. We remember our big idea that we rely on the Spirit for Christ's strength to win against Satan. These are all the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ and putting them on protects us. And the last item he lists is the sword of the Spirit. He says, verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we're told the sword of the Spirit is actually God's Word, what we read in the Bible. And it's defensive and offensive. And you think it's the sword of the Spirit because the Spirit is the one who forged it, that human authors... uh, under the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, wrote this. He forged this book, God's Word. But then the Spirit also is the one who uses God's Word uh, as well in our lives. And um, So it's defensive. Jesus, when he was tempted by Satan, defended himself with the Word of God. So it's defensive. A sword can block things. But also offensive. When you look at Romans 10, uh, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of Christ, the Word of God sets other people free from their bondage to Satan. It's how we can actually liberate other people from uh, their spiritual bondage to him. And it's how we can, in each other's lives, that we use the sword of the Spirit not to hurt each other and not to condemn each other and judge each other and put each other down, but like, I want to use this to heal and take these bonds and take these things that are entangled. I want to cut those off and defeat Satan's lies through God's word. So how do we put the armor on? The reality, Paul says, is that when we wake up in the morning and get out of bed, we're entering a spiritual battle, whether we recognize it or not. We need strength for that battle, and that strength comes from wearing the armor of God. And if we don't put that on, we will never be able to withstand the devil's schemes and stand firm. And, and that's great, uh, but this can, you know, I read this and it's like, well, it can sound a little impractical. Uh, God has this armor I'm supposed to put on, but it's not like I can go in my closet and take the armor out and pick out socks to match it. You know, it's like not in our closet. So how do you actually put it on? Do I just say like, God, I'm putting on this armor today. How do we put it on each morning when we wake up to go and fight this battle? And the answer is found in verse 18 to the end, particularly in verse 18. Verse 18, he says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. And the answer he gives, which is uh, not a piece of the armor, it's praying in the Spirit and uh, I summarize that up as relying on the Spirit, which is one of our community practices. Rely on the Spirit for Christ's strength, for Christ's armor to win against Satan. And it's all relational. It's, you think, don't think about this as like, okay, I've got this relationship with God, 
And I guess there's like this armor I can put on that's kind of like out here, which is optional. It's like, no, our relationship with God, having a relationship with God, abiding in Him, following Him, loving Him, listening to Him, that's how the armor is put on us. It's in our relationship with God, in our uh, praying in the Spirit. Prayer is a primary way to be in communion with God all day long, um, talking with Him, listening to Him, and the Spirit in us. It's not like, okay, like I just got to stop and like, you know, shoot a quick letter off or something. It's like the Spirit is in us. We're going to be praying in the Spirit in accordance with His purposes, aware of His presence and abiding in what He wants us to do. And we've been talking about these three words as we go through this series. You know, what is praying in the Spirit? Uh, what's, we need to be aware, available, and attentive. We've been talking about these three words all along. But we need to be aware of the spiritual battle and the Spirit's presence and purpose. Praying in the Spirit requires us to be aware of the spiritual battle and the Spirit's presence and purpose. But just being aware of the Spirit's presence and purpose and the spiritual battle isn't enough. We need to also be available, available to the Spirit, available to our Commander's purpose. Like this is a battle, and we don't just like you know wander off in and do our own thing and just try to accomplish our own missions. It's like, I want to be available for my Commander's mission in this spiritual battle and what the Spirit wants to do through us. And this is key because we might be aware of the Spirit and we might be asking Him to do things um, for us, um, but uh, if we're, we're asking Him to be available to our purposes. Spirit, this is what I want done today. Would you please do this? You know, Make me not nervous or make this person easier or whatever it is. And it's like, no, I want to be available to your purposes in this person's life. I want to surrender to you. And last, we need to be attentive. It's like, I'm available to your purposes and it's attentive to our commander's leading. The Spirit is with us. Jesus is discipling us and leading us through the Spirit in our lives. As we come to the end of this passage, I want us to consider, I want you to ask, uh, we talked in the beginning, what battles are you usually fighting on a daily basis? Where is your energy, uh, where is your focus on a daily basis or weekly basis? And we can tell a lot of what battles we're fighting, but how we pray. Um, what are you praying for? Um, those are the battles that you're fighting and that you're hoping that God will come uh, and fight on your behalf and liberate you um, from some of those things. And the question is, are, are we fighting the real enemy? Are we relying on the Spirit as the only one who can give us the strength to stand firm against that real enemy? And we ask, you know, what most occupies our thoughts? What's our greatest desire for the day? What do our prayers normally sound like? Our great, our, how we pray reveals the battles that we're trying to face and who we think our, the real enemy is. I find it interesting, we're going to end by talking, giving a tool for prayer, um, but it's interesting how Paul prays at the end of this passage. He's in prison, uh, and he's chained to this guy. Wouldn't you think, like, at the top of his mind, I would love to be unchained so that I don't want to be in prison anymore. I want to be free of this. I want to, this is this stinks. I mean, I'm hooked up to this dude. I can't do what I want. I'm doing, you know, probably wouldn't say dude, uh, but you know, translation. Uh, I'm hooked up to this guy. Like, would you please pray that I would be free? And what does he actually ask? He says he tells us something about how he thinks about himself, his identity. He tells us about his desire. Uh, he says. Um, Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, 
So what does he want? That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And now this is where he says what he, how he thinks about himself. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so Paul, he's like, I'm in chains. And while I'm in chains, in prison, in this situation I don't want to be in, this is for my faith in Jesus, that I'm in prison. And he's saying, I'm an ambassador for Christ in this situation. And what does he ask for? Would you give me boldness? Like, would you help me to talk about Jesus with clarity, with openness, without fear? Uh, would you help me to talk to this guy and talk to these other soldiers around me and whoever else will talk to me? And he's in this situation. He's not praying, like, free me from this. He's like, I'm an ambassador in this situation. Please help me to be a faithful ambassador, a help, faithful soldier for Christ. And when we pray every single day, when we wake up, we're entering a spiritual battle. Are we going to enter it without armor to fight it? Are we going to think about, you know, God, just please clear out all these things in my way. Or are we going to say, you know what, I have an opportunity to be a ambassador for Christ today. And Lord, please give me strength to do that. Would you put you on me? Would you put your character on me, your desires, your purposes, your motives, so I can express you to other people? And some of you probably heard of a tool uh, called Acts. It's for praying. I just want to give this tool to you. If you've heard of it, this will be a review and a reminder. Oh, that's not how I want to do it. Of how it can be helpful. If you haven't heard of it, um, write it down um, as a way that you can play. So this is praying and just following these four words um, as you pray and thinking adoration, confession, thanksgiving. If you want to know how to pray in the Spirit. Thanksgiving. These are all desires the Spirit has for your life. That you would be doing these things. Supplication, which is really a fancy word for asking for things, asking God to supply things to us. Um, but if you think about our prayer lives, um, so often they can kind of hang out in this zone. We come to God and we rattle off the to-do list at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, here's all the things I'm stressed about. You know, please do this, 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 and that. Please let that go smooth. But, you know, whatever it is. Or at the end of the day, we say, oh, here's all, here's all the concerns. God, you know, let my family be safe. You know, all these things that we may think of. And so we hang out in this zone of asking God for stuff. And if we're feeling like, you know what, that's not super respectful. I don't want to be ungrateful. We'll add in Thanksgiving. Like, well, God, you know, it's dinner time. Thank you for this food. Thank you for our family. Amen. And that's not bad. Like, if it's coming from a heart of gratitude, I'm trying to do that with Hudson. It's like he loves praying, and then it's like, you know, it's just, he keeps doing this. And then, it's like, okay, Hudson, I remember Rebecca, Rebecca was in that stage. And it's like, okay, let's pray again. What else can we be thankful for? Well, you know, we can be thankful for our clothes. We can be thankful for whatever it is. Usually I will keep the list short because the attention span isn't very long. Plus, I need more stuff for the next time he asks during dinner. But, you know, we go through all these things and it's like, well, I don't want to be disrespectful or sound ungrateful, so I better say thanks to God for a couple of things first so he's not mad at me and he'll give me these things. And maybe you don't think that way, but, you know, it's just, you may think, I don't, I don't want to sound ungrateful. The butter got up, asking for some stuff. But if you think about going through all these, starting with adoration of saying to God, man, I just worship you and adore you for being this way, for being good, for your love, for your control and how wise you are, and just adoring God and worshiping him in that way. And then when, then we start confessing, like once we do that, we do what Romans uh, 3.23 says, we all fall short 
of the glory of God. As we adore God, we're like, and I've fallen short. Um, it's, I know I'm not condemned for it, but uh, let me confess, like, I've not loved my wife as I should. I haven't loved my kids or my neighbor or my coworkers. I haven't done as you asked, um, and I haven't worshipped you as I should. And we confess that, and we can move to Thanksgiving. Thank you for forgiveness. In Jesus, I am forgiven for this. And move to all the other things we can be thankful for. And now, if, if we've gone through these, this is totally recalibrated what we're going to start asking God for if we're doing those three things first. And now it's, we're prepared to start asking things in line with God's will, in line with who he is and what's true about us and seeing all the good things he's brought in our life. And now we're ready to, I'm going to start praying for your purposes. I'm going to start praying for, I've confessed and I've thanked you for forgiveness, but now I'm going to ask, would you make me a new kind of person so that I do love this person? I've confessed I'm not loving or not kind or not patient. And we start praying in those ways. As we think as a community, this whole series we've said, Spirit wants to make the sons and daughters inside and out. And these commands that were given in this passage are y'all commands. It's not like you, Mitch, put on the armor. Y'all put on the armor of God. And the interesting thing, Roman soldiers, um, they like their shields were like hooked together kind of. I don't know if there's like a mechanism, but they would put their shields together in a row and they'd also put them above them. So it's like, Flaming darts of the evil one, not going to get in here. Because even if you were alone, it's like, you could get hit from the side. But this community, as we put, as by faith, we encourage one another's faith. And if somebody else isn't doing very well over here or whatever it is, it's like we're all this community with our shields of faith, encouraging one another, holding them up together, um, being sons and daughters inside and out. And we're standing firm in the strength of the Lord with our shields together and wielding the word of God. Um, any one another's lives to bring healing and, and other people's lives to um, free them. I thought appropriate way to, to end. Um, actually, we'll end the service this way. We'll pray the, the Lord's Prayer at the end of the service to close um, together because that's another great way. How can I pray in the Spirit? Well, Jesus, his disciples were like, hey, Jesus, how do we pray? And he was like, oh, this is how you should pray. So that's pretty good prayer to learn is the Lord's Prayer and to be praying that and where it focuses us. So let's, let's pray now, um, and then we'll pray the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you don't leave us alone in this spiritual battle. That you give us each other, you give us your spirit, you give us um, all the armor that belonged to Jesus that he used to defeat Satan. And so would you let us stand firm together against him. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.